Season 2, Chapter 7 Numb There is no pain you are receding. Pink Floyd Numb Dreams of flying, of dying. Dreams of faces twisted in pain and the smell of cheap perfume, of fabric softener, of blood. A blackbird, strange voices and laughing, the contents of his father's skull against the dried hay. His mother's treble voice, That's not very nice, honey. Let him go. Abram. She speaks like he is holding one too many lollipops and not the throat of a toddler who is visiting the apple farm. Begrudgingly, he releases his grip. As payback for her meddling, he poisons her coffee. He can see her vomiting over the kitchen sink. His father is inspecting the wet powder residue at the bottom of her favorite teacup. Sideways glances, but nobody says a word. Not one word. More gorgeous dreaming. The girl in the woods. Eugene is cutting at her with a pocket knife. Robbie, his pants still around his ankles, howls like a wolf. Abram loves the chaos. He joins in the howling. His own voice arouses him, but Abram cannot move his body. His wrists and ankles are restrained, and there is a strange pressure in his arm. If the lack of lighting was meant to disorient him, it was all in vain, for it is in the blackness that he sees most clearly. He takes in his surroundings, the earthen walls, the hinges on the opening so high above him, and the blue tarp that he is lying on. He knows exactly where he is, but he does not care. He feels different, better even. He feels no pain. Whatever they are drugging him with, he likes it very much. He closes his eyes again, enjoying the absence of that terrible pain. The darkness seethes. You are not worthy of the gift. Soon, very soon, you will care. Oh, you will care. For now, Abram ignores the voice, for he is free to dream, and dreams pass the time, and time is eternal. Dr. Karen rested her head against the car window. Ed's sedan was silent and cool. To her quiet surprise, the traffic was behaving as it always did, and the highway felt the same. The universe is a cold and indifferent place, she thought. Ed's pain and the reason for their trip meant nothing to the late afternoon flow of cars and trucks that were whizzing by. But at least she was here with Ed, fulfilling a promise that he would not bear any more sorrow alone. She watched him now, his profile still polished and handsome despite his years and his grief. Even through all of this, he was composed and professionally dressed. She reached over to place her hand on Ed's shoulder. You doing okay? Would it help to talk? But Ed kept his eyes glued to the road. He was pushing the speed limit as they raced past Portsmouth, then Seabrook and Newburyport. For years, he had been desperate to be with his daughter, but she would not allow it. 
with the exception of Ed's money, this child had rejected, insulted, and mocked everything about him. Worse than being disowned, he had been broken. "'I'll be here when she's ready,' was all he used to say. He never spoke much about the situation with his boss, but Amelia could see his pain whenever she listened to his justifications for Samantha's cruelty. I traveled a lot when she was a teenager. I took a big job so we could send her to college. Someday she'll understand. But just hours ago, that someday had been replaced with a call from Boston Police Homicide Division. She's with her mother now, Ed said to Amelia flatly. Amelia pulled her hand back as they continued in silence toward the city. The sun was low in the sky, illuminating the tufts of grass that were visible along the Massachusetts Highway. Springtime, Harper's favorite season. Amelia now replayed that morning in her mind the pop of the old farmer's pistol, Abram's strangely burned body so heavy and limp. She had only seen him one other time before. Touching him felt surreal. The ice house was cold and deep. She caught herself worrying that Abram wouldn't be warm enough. Abram had done horrible things, so why was she worrying about his warmth? In the flurry of it all, Nathan stayed in control. With the state police, he weighed his words, doing nothing to correct the rock pile of assumptions that were mounting up against Clyde White and his connection with the dead woman. Amelia was remembering Nathan's demeanor. It was flat, just like Ed. Disassociating from trauma worked in the short term, but what of the long term? Was she the only one holding back a scream? She missed Harper. She missed innocence. Ed and Amelia would spend two days closing out Samantha's apartment and finalizing arrangements. One of the Boston detectives assigned to the case had assured Ed that they would find the killer. But Ed had only nodded politely. Sure, yes, thank you. His distant expression had been mistaken for shock, but in truth, Ed couldn't be bothered with what the detectives had to say. He already knew who had killed his daughter, and he wanted to get back as quickly as possible. Back to him. 240 miles north, Sheriff Randall was turning into his own driveway. His tiny cabin sat hidden away in some of the region's most pristine land, but he hadn't been home in days. Probably a good idea to run the water and test the generator, he decided as he opened his unlocked door. Nathan was not happy to be away from the station. There was so much work to do, but exhaustion had made thinking nearly impossible and people were noticing. His deputies pointed out that it wouldn't be safe for him to be on the job until he had had some rest, and, they threatened, should he decide not to go home, they would report him to the bureau commander. He entered the cabin through the mudroom and hung his jacket on the peg by the door. Every corner of the small space was filled with hunting boots, assorted snowshoes, and fishing poles. Living in the mountains of Maine was supposed to have its perks, but he hadn't been fishing in years, and the only snowshoeing he'd been doing was work-related. Stuff they don't tell you in the brochure, he mused. He removed his boots and walked his holster into the bedroom to rest it on his nightstand. 
He exchanged his brown uniform shirt for the humane sweatshirt he kept draped over a chair. It smelled like it needed a wash. No time for that. He moved toward the kitchen. After testing a half-empty milk carton with a few quick sniffs, he added it to a can of tomato soup and several drops of smoky Tabasco sauce, and then he left the concoction to heat while he started the wood stove. In less than 90 minutes, the cabin was toasty, and he had finished the soup. Nathan rubbed his hand up and down his face, pressing on his eyes momentarily before he dropped back into his recliner. His crushing workload was the perfect cover for insomnia. Weeks of working through the night had left him frayed and unable to sleep for more than one to two hours at a time. Even the doc made some soft suggestions, but he ignored them. He still believed that his being home was a dangerous waste of time. He exhaled in frustration and watched the fire. Slowly, the penetrating heat of the wood stove and the softness of the chair took the wheel, and soon enough, the sheriff was out, falling deeper into a dreamless and most serious sleep. Mercifully, the night stayed quiet. At 4 a.m., Nathan inhaled deeply and opened his eyes. The wood stove was hungry, and so he tossed two logs into the embers and padded to the kitchen to get the coffee going. He checked his watch. I've been asleep for ten hours. Just what the doctor ordered, I guess. The doctor? He was worried about Amelia. He had hoped that she would have checked in by now. His cell phone was still in his pocket, and so he opened it. She hadn't called, but there was one voicemail. And then he remembered the strange call from Sunday evening. He leaned back against the kitchen counter and sipped his coffee. I guess we'll give this one a listen now. The message was strange. At first, it was just the sound of rustling and of someone moving and breathing heavily. Nathan increased the volume on his phone. More rustling. And then, Hush now! Hush now! He's gone! It was Faye's voice. She must have managed to call using her new satellite phone. He smiled, thinking about how embarrassed she would be after he educated her on the concept of butt-dialing. This was all so cute, and it was just the sort of thing his morale needed. The call continued as she admonished her little dog again. He's not out there! Wait a minute. Who's not out there? Nathan stopped smiling. The dog was yelping and growling, and then he heard something else. It was a man's voice, whispering something that was slow and threatening. Nathan couldn't make it out. His stomach twisted tight as the dog's frenzied barking stopped abruptly. There was a garbled sort of moaning sound before the call ended. Nathan felt pressure in his chest. He placed the phone down and looked around, trying to steady himself. Dear God, what did I just listen to? He called Mabel at the station. Nope, I don't think anyone has heard from Faye. Something wrong, Sheriff? Get Bob out there, now, he commanded. I'm leaving the house. Tell him I'll meet him there. By the time Sheriff Randall arrived at Faye's little lake, the smoke had cleared, and all that remained of her cabin was a crooked heap of charred lumber. Bob Grassley, his most senior deputy, 
was there to meet him. Bob was shaking his head gravely. She's gone, Nathan. I saw her in the rubble. Can't go in there, of course. Jeff is en route. But she's there. Nathan didn't need the fire marshal to explain what had happened. Obviously, there had been an explosion. The cabin had not collapsed in on itself, as is more typical of a house fire. Instead, it had sprayed outward. Wood and ash had fallen like confetti from some gruesome gala, covering the white snow with varying shades of black and gray. His mind flashed back to Abram's burned body, and then the man's voice he had heard on the phone. Like a lost child, Nathan called out her name. Faye! The lack of response was deafening. Now Deputy Grassley was confused. Hey, Sheriff, I just told you that she's... I heard what you said! Nathan was screaming. What's the matter? You don't think I can hear you? He rushed toward Bob, all of his desperation now concentrated in his fists. Take it easy there, Sheriff. Bob started to back up, suddenly afraid. At the last minute, Nathan passed Bob and headed out across the frozen lake. He wasn't sure where to throw himself. Faye was gone, and he hadn't been there to save her. He thought of Miss Linda and Daisy Terrio and the poor lady at the farm, and God only knows who else. Sheriff Belanger's words were haunting him again. My heart can't take it. Sheriff Randall's breathing was shallow and erratic as he struggled through his very first panic attack. Many more were waiting in the wings. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. He spun around several times before dropping to his hands and knees. Below the thick layer of bubbled gray ice was the cold blackness of 50 feet of water, and he stared at it. For some time, the sheriff remained on all fours with his head hanging low. From afar, he looked like a wounded bear. Hey, Nate! You okay? It was Bob calling from the shore. Nathan snickered at the question. I am definitely not okay, he thought. His hands were cold, but his face flushed red. The panic was subsiding, but in its place burned a new feeling, hatred. It felt hot and urgent. The sheriff knew he was losing control. He could feel it dropping away, down into the black depth just below him. In that moment, he wasn't the sheriff. He was a man who had loved and lost, and now wanted revenge. The lines were no longer blurred. They were gone. Slowly, he lifted his head and looked back over his shoulder at Bob and then over to what was left of Faye's home. As the sun rose to take its place over the lake, he began to imagine a different encounter with Abram White. He wanted to go back to the farm, and this time he would be alone. Having a plan made the sheriff feel better. He stood up and turned back toward his deputy. He would say nothing to anyone. This was his secret. The fire marshal's team was pulling in, and Bob was directing the scene as Sheriff Randall approached. 
Bob acted as though nothing had happened, giving his boss a quick nod. Nathan nodded back. There may be a small dog around here somewhere, Nathan advised. Keep your eyes peeled for him. She loved that little guy. On the outside, Sheriff Randall was his usual stoic self as he watched Faye's body being loaded up and driven away. But on the inside, he was glad that he had slept, for he now had a plan that couldn't start until very late. The sheriff was talking to himself. Tonight. All of this ends. Tonight. Numb. Written and performed by Bridget Evans. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Main Stories or visit my website at BridgetEmmons.com. Thanks for listening.